0: first Bible reading tonight is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's on page 1020. I'll be reading from verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact, you are doing.
1: The second reading tonight is from 1 Peter, chapter four, verses four to 11, and it's on page 1049. 1 Peter four, four to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human, evil human desires, but rather for the the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be- Good evening, Church. I don't
2: know whether you've heard of a man called Lord Shaftesbury. He was a great social reformer who cared for the marginalised and the poor. He fought to eradicate slavery. He said these words, he said, I do not think in the last 40 years I've lived one conscious hour that wasn't influenced by the thought of my Lord's return. Isn't that extraordinary? In 40 years, not one conscious hour that hasn't been shaped by the reality that Jesus Christ is coming back. Uh, a preacher called George Whitfield says something similarly, he said, he was asked one day what he would do differently during the day if he knew that Christ was coming back that day. Looked at his die, went, no change, no change. And we hear those kind of stories and we kind of think they're weirdos. We think, seriously? And I want to say, church, yes, seriously. Yes, seriously. These are people who are so captivated by Jesus. These are people who are so persuaded that Jesus Christ is coming back and it could happen at any time. These are people who are so persuaded that. These few hours, days, weeks, months, years on earth should be spent serving our Lord Jesus Christ. These are people whose backdrop of their lives, screen set of their lives, was all about the return of Christ. If you read your Bibles, one in every 30 New Testament verses refers to the return of Christ. One in 30. Theologian R. A Theologian R.A. Torrey said this, it's on the screen, The imminent return of our Lord is the great Bible argument for a pure, unselfish, devoted, unworldly, active life of service. So church, God calls us to be pure. To pursue purity, to strive for holiness, to grow in godliness, to to throw off the sin that entangles you, and one of the great motivations for that is the return of Jesus Christ. He could come back at any time. So let me ask you: does the return of Jesus influence and impact your life at all? Does it shape the decisions that you make? The words that you speak, how you spend your time and your talents and your money. Does it impact your attitude towards suffering and sickness and sin and injustice because you're longing for that day when this messed up, broken world will be fixed again? Does it put a fire in your belly for evangelism because you know and love people who are not yet ready to meet Jesus? Now, in this this series on eschatology, looking at the end times, all things to do with the end times, death, resurrection, rewards, heaven and hell. There was a time in church history where church was kind of obsessed with the end times. All those sermons on hell, fire and brimstone. All that speculation about times and days. But I don't think that's the church today, is it? Now here in Sydney, That's not the church in Sydney today. Now we're kind of obsessed looking back at Calvary, looking back at the cross of Christ, and that's a good and right thing, to look back to the incredible sacrifice that your Saviour, Jesus Christ, made for you so you could be forgiven. That's an important thing to do. But we hardly think about the return of Christ. Remember that pastor who... Closed his curtains every night and said, "Perhaps tonight, Lord. Perhaps tonight." Now, do you hear what Peter said? One Peter four verse seven. Again on the screen, the end of all things is near. That's the truth. The end is close. The end is about to happen. We're we're living what the Bible calls the last days. So we're in the last act of the play. The curtains are about to come down. And Jesus Christ is going to return. That's the the next big thing that's going to happen in world history. So Jesus said he would die, and he died. Jesus said he would rise, and he rose. And Jesus said he would come again. Mark 13, the Son of Man will come in power and in glory. So, So after the perfect life of Jesus, and his sacrificial death, and his remarkable resurrection and his glorious ascension and the pouring out of his spirit, the only thing left in human history is for Jesus Christ to return. So we're living what what, what Christians call the the now but not yet. In the now. Because now we are forgiven. And, And now we do have the spirit. But not yet, because we're not perfect yet. We're not in glory yet it's like we're engaged but we're not yet married it's like we've, we've bought a house we've got the keys but we haven't moved in yet uh, I, I became a Christian 32 years ago and to be honest the longer I've been a Christian the more I wish that God had done an Enoch on me Remember, You know, Enoch from the Bible who just was just taken up to heaven I would have loved that if he just saved me and took me to heaven but that's not the way that God works normally. He leaves us here on earth in these last days because, because there's work to do. And he's got a work to do on me and on you to prepare us for glory. So the Bible says the end of all things is near, it's close, it's at hand. And that is true, and yet our world, our world just keeps on living as though that's not true. And to be honest, too many Christians live as though that's not true. One of the privileges of being a pastor is that you you get to sit with people who are facing death. And believe you me, when you're facing death, we do not have conversations about the homes and the holidays and the perfect job and the perfect body because none of that matters. So tonight I want to speak on the end times, the return of Christ, but but focus on, on how the reality that Jesus Christ is coming back should change your life, how to live in these last days. Not, not to motivate you by fear. Way too many evangelicals motivate by fear, kind of the stick, you know, be ready, be scared, he could come back any time. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about the return of Christ as a day of great glory and celebration for Christians, of great joy. And so you should be motivated by joy that you're longing to see your Saviour face to face. I want to start again tonight with the same phrase as last week, the Lord Jesus is coming again. Remember that? It's certain it will happen. It's personal, Jesus will come. It's unmissable, every eye is going to see him. It's unpredictable, we don't know when. It's going to be a terrible day for some people who are not in Christ, but a glorious day for those who are in Christ. It's what the Bible teaches, but, but people mock us and scoff at us. Uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 3 says this, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, the days that we're in now between the, the, retu- the resurrection and the return, in the last days scoffers will come people will mock and scoff scoffing and following their own evil desires, living their debauched lives and these scoffers will say where is this coming he promised ever since our ancestors died everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation that sound familiar people in the world say it is ridiculous Paul this whole concept of, of God stepping into the world again intervening. how stupid are you But 2 Peter goes on, that they deliberately forget, they choose to forget that that God created this world at a word. He has the power to do that. And Back at the flood with Noah, he destroyed this world. And then it goes on in in verse 10, 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Like a thief, it will be unexpected, sudden, you'll be taken by surprise. What did 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3 say? people will be saying peace and safety and destruction will come and then suddenly, I think that's our world today, people are living oblivious to the fact that this world is going to end. People are living with their amazing security systems in their Mossman mansions, eating and drinking and living it up, racing through life, enjoying life, enjoying all the good things that God has given them and pretending that everything is okay. And suddenly one day Jesus Christ will return. One day we will wake up and and that will be the day where God says no more. No more suffering, no more sickness, no more sin, no more greed, no more lust, no more like no more. Verse 10, the, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. On that day, everything is going to be destroyed. Every mountain, every valley, every atom, every fibre. On that day, everything we relied on will be gone. And everything laid bare. No secrets, no hiding. And you read these verses, and we, we should kind of shudder. It's terrible. It makes a tsunami look like a drop in the ocean. It makes a, a hurricane like a gentle breeze makes the the twin towers toppling like a speck on the the stratosphere. This day is going to be utterly, utterly, utterly devastating. I, I don't know, do you really believe that your God has the power to wipe out the entire world in just a second? Because perhaps we've domesticated God, we've made our God containable, predictable, limited and impotent they be terrified, unless you are safe in the arms of Jesus. That is the goodness of the gospel. Unless you're safe in Jesus, unless you've trusted in Jesus, unless like a, a chick being covered by uh, the mother's wings, unless you're safe in Jesus, and if that's you, it's going to be a glorious day because you're going home. But Jesus said this day would happen. But my fear is for many Christians, we live with what I call willful amnesia we deliberately choose to forget this fact. I don't know, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you think, Paul, I just wanna live a long, happy life. I just got this dream of living my life and you know, traveling the world and I'm gonna retire and I'm gonna uh, just sit back and relax I, and I don't mind getting sick when I'm old but not too painful because I've got my ticket to heaven in Jesus Christ. But we don't really, if we're honest, long for the day, do we? 1 Peter 4, the end is near. So here's the question, our big question tonight. 2 Peter 3, verse 11. This is your question. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? That's the big question. Because you know Jesus is coming back and you don't know when, how should you live your life today? Knowing the future always, always changes your present so if I was to tell you that you've got 24 months to live, if you got that news tonight that you would die in two years' time, I can guarantee you that would totally change what you choose to do in the next two years. So how is the return of Christ going to shape you? Three things. The Lord Jesus is coming again, so number one, walk carefully, walk carefully. Carefully walk is the Bible word for the way that you live, step by step, day by day. Your decisions, your actions, your thoughts, your words, your deeds. Live distinctive lives now. Live in a way, think in a way that reflects that you belong to God. I love the story of the man who, age fifty, discovers he's got a half brother. He discovers this, and they chat online, and they arrange to meet each other in a cafe. And so Nick's sitting in his cafe, about to meet his half-brother. Same dad. And then he realizes he he has no no clue what he looks like. And then he spots a man walking across the road and goes, oh, that's my half-brother. He says, Nick, how do you know it's your half-brother? Because he walks like our dad. I walk like my dad, he walks like my dad, I could spot him a mile away. That's what we're called to be as Christians, People can spot a mile away that we belong to God, that God is our Father. We're different, we're distinctive, we're a child of God. 2 Peter 3 verse 11 says this, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you you to be? You ought to live holy, because God is holy, and godly, because you claim to follow God. Holy and godly lives, you look forward to the day of God, and speed, it's coming. He's just saying... Live as the children of God that God has made you to be. Listen very carefully. What five told us this, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. You're not in darkness. You know that this day is coming. You are all children of the light, and you are children of the day. That is your identity. That's your status. I love this truth that we belong to the day, we have been redeemed, we are restored, we are called children of God. So God doesn't say live holy and godly lives so you could earn your part of God's family. He says you're part of God's family already because of Jesus Christ. Just live out your faith, live out your your identity. I I know that's hard because we're living in, in a world of darkness, and if you live as a child of light in a world of darkness, there's going to be this clash of cultures, isn't no? it? See our world says, live for self, pursue pleasure, be yourself, look after yourself, but, but the Bible says, now live for God and live for others. And, and so we've got this clash because we're in the world but we're not of the world and God doesn't tell us in the last days to all go and live in monasteries. He says to live in the world but just be different. So walk differently, walk carefully think, think. It starts with how you think, think rightly The most common word to describe your walk with God Is actually the word self-controlled Which is actually the word sober-minded Same word, we read it twice in our reading 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 Since we belong to the day, let us be sober Self-controlled in what we think and how we think Or 1 Peter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. To be of sober mind just means that you're sound in your thinking. You think rightly about this world. You think rightly about your identity. You think rightly about the future. You think rightly about God. you ever been in those situations where you start to have crazy thoughts and those crazy thoughts lead to crazy behaviour and a good friend sits with you and helps you to think rightly. (laughs) That's what we need. We need to think rightly about God. 2 Peter 3 verse 13 says this, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's your thought pattern. We're looking forward to this perfect place but it's not now. And when you start to think like that, You start to think differently about your life because this is not home. This is not home. This world is not home. Heaven is my home. And when you start to think like that constantly, it changes your whole attitude to all the stuff that you accumulate. If you start to think, I can't take the car with me, I can't take the house with me, it becomes less important. Of course you can borrow my car. What's the matter? It's just stuff. Of course you can come and live in my house. You can wreck it if you want. It's just stuff. The only thing you can take with you is people, isn't it? People that you've led to Christ. So when you start to think like that, it changes your behaviour. At the place where, where righteousness dwells, that mindset of longing for the place of, of, of perfect justice, an end to poverty, an end to persecution, an end to sin. But it's not now, it's future. And, and 1 Peter 4 verse 7 says this, be alert, Be of sober mind so that you may pray. I love that. When you start to think rightly about your life now and about the end times, it radically changes your prayer life. So if someone in your life gets gets really, really sick, of course you pray for healing now. Of course you do. But you're not guaranteed that, so you don't pray, come Lord Jesus. And when you think rightly about the reality of hell, you might pray more fervently for those who know and love who don't yet know Jesus. So we walk out by thinking rightly, but also acting godly. You ought to live a holy life set apart for God, a godly life that's upright and pure and blameless. Have you realised that people watch you, they look at you, and they're supposed to see Christ in you? Titus 2 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, that offers salvation to all people, and that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So as we abide in Christ, as we fix on Christ, we say no. That is not me. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to pursue hatred and envy and malice and greed and immorality. No, 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 no. I'm going to live a self-controlled, upright and godly life in this present age while I wait for the coming of my Lord Jesus Christ. So, your walk with God is everything about you. It's the way that you speak, it's who you speak to, it's the way that you forgive, it's the way that you act towards strangers, the way you use your money, your relationships, your work, your ethics, your hobbies. It's everything. Church, we can do this. We can live godly lives because the Spirit of God is in us. We are children of the day, we have got the arm of God. So what kind of people should we be? We should be holy and godly. And if we live like this, the watching world is going to love us, aren't they? No. 1 Peter 4, verse 4. They, that is the world, the people who scoff, they're surprised when you don't join them in their reckless wild living. And they heap abuse on you. They mock Christians, ridicule Christians, ostracise us, and we suffer for living godly lives. This is not the prosperity gospel, this is the persecution gospel. Remember Jesus told the story of the, the wide road that leads to destruction, and many walk on it. That is the way of the world. People choosing to live comfortable, selfish, reckless, debauched lives with no reference for God. And why does that work? Now, if you choose to walk on the narrow road, if you choose to walk sort of counterculturally against the flow, don't be surprised when you bump shoulders on a collision course. Don't be surprised if the more godly you become, the more opposition you face. Or to flip that over. If you just want to align yourself with the world and be like the world, go ahead and you'll have an easy life. So walk carefully. More briefly, worship corporately. Worship corporately. I love church. Because this church is like a glimpse of heaven. In these last days, as we wait for the return of Christ, God, God doesn't want us to be lone ranger Christians. God has provided church. Hebrews 10 says this, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see, the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus approaching. So as we live in this world, God calls us, God invites us, God spurs us on to meet together so we can encourage each other. When I first became a Christian 32 years ago I didn't go to church. I didn't like organised church. I thought I could do the Christian life by myself and I was totally wrong because it's really hard to live in a world that is on the the wide road with different worldviews and is so godless. It's really hard to live as a Christian and be different if you're not meeting with other Christians with your brothers and sisters. And so we're supposed to worship together. We're supposed to encourage one another. See that word? Encourage one another to to remind each other wonderful truths about God, to to remind each other truths about who Jesus is, and to remind each other that He is coming back. Let's be honest there there are times when you don't want to come to church. To be honest, there are times I don't want to come to church. (laughs) There are times when I'm really struggling in my faith times when you are doubting and questioning the goodness of God, but as we come together as church, as we stand in church and sing glorious truths about God and hear the word of God preached, even if you cannot sing those songs because you don't feel it, as you hear other people singing, you are ministered to, aren't you? You're reminded of great truths about God. We spur each other on towards love and goodness. That's where we meet to spur each other on, to be the best Christian friend you can possibly be, the best Christian neighbor you can possibly be, the best Christian worker you can possibly be. The end of all things is near, says Peter. And then he adds these words, above all, took them to the church. Above all, love each other deeply. That's what we meet. To love God and to love each other. In these last days, to love each other deeply, earnestly, persistently, the word there is to be exhausted with love, to go out of your way, just to exhaust yourself in loving other people. It's like the athletes or the swimmers at the Commonwealth Games, to striving for that gold medal. We're supposed to be striving to win a gold medal in loving other people. What kind of people should we be? People who go out of our way to love, to care, to be kind, to build each other up in this church to look out for other people in need, to make sacrifices for others, to be selfless so that we can be like Christ. If we're going to meet Jesus face to face, let's be like him. And he loved, sacrificially, selflessly, lavishly. Who do we love? Each other, even those people here in church that you find hard to love, even those people who have hurt you. Why do we love? Well, the Bible tells us love covers over a multitude of of sin. Now he's not talking there about forgiveness. That was one for us by the blood of Jesus at Calvary. He's saying there that when you choose to love rather than hate, then it changes you. It stops you being bitter and envious and selfish. So love each other. Jesus told a power about, about the church Quite a scary power. it comes in Matthew 25, it's called The Power of the Sheep and the Goats. And Jesus says to religious people, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was needing clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. And these religious people says, when Lord... When did we do that? I mean, look at us. We were at church and we were on rosters and we, we did stuff and we served. And Jesus says these words, Whenever you, whatever, whatever you did not do, for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. He said, the way that you treat everyone at church is kind of a reflection of your love for Jesus. In his last days, please, 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 meet, encourage, and love lavishly. Bonhoeffer was in prison in World War II and he was once asked why he kept on loving Christians when he knew that Jesus Christ would return. And Bonhoeffer said this, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I will rest from my labor. But today I have God's work to do and I must continue loving other people. That's the attitude. What has God given you today to do for his glory? So we walk carefully, we worship corporately, and lastly, we witness courageously. We witness courageously, because what is the the greatest work that God has left you to do? The greatest work that God's left us to do is to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. As you go, as you live your life, make disciples of all nations. And that verse is not a verse for just pastors or evangelists, It's, it's a word for all of us. As we live in these last days, we're to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. Because if this is true and Jesus Christ is coming back, then there are people in your life who need to hear it, yes? Now for some of us here, it means having the courage to talk to that family member that you've been avoiding for many, many years. For some of us here, it means crossing the cafe to talk to the stranger you've never met before. Uh, me personally, I, I, I pray every day, God, give me an opportunity, show me the person to talk to today about Jesus. I, I don't find it natural so I pray, Lord, give me the courage and the boldness just to talk about Jesus. Uh, when my unbelieving friends are sharing their deepest trials and troubles, which they often do, it's th- thinking, Lord, this is a moment to, to shine Christ into their lives, not, not to shovel the gospel down their throat, but to show them the joy of Jesus and the hope in Jesus. And to be honest, for me, it's, it's not getting distracted by all the lesser gospels, all the other things I could be passionate about, like running or swimming or triathlons, and they're good things to do, but they don't save people from hell. And if I'm really honest, being really honest, it's not being envious of many people who who live in this beautiful suburb with their beautiful homes and their beautiful pools and their beautiful lives. But they haven't got Jesus and what they really need is Jesus. And that's why Jesus has not come back yet. (coughs) 2 Peter 3 verse 8 But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. That's not a neat mathematical equation. He's just saying that the God doesn't experience time as we do. For God, the time between the resurrection and the return is just like this. But the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the heart of God. He, he longs, he yearns for all people to hear the gospel, to believe, and to be saved. He yearns for everyone to be in the arms of Jesus on that last and terrible day. And God is patient. God withholds the return of Christ so more and more and more people can get saved. I'm so thankful that God was patient and didn't come back 35 years ago. Because I wasn't ready, and I would have been in hell. I'm so thankful that God didn't come back 10 years ago, because my mate Roger wasn't ready then, but he is now, because he's met Jesus. And five years ago, Dean wasn't ready, but he is now, he's met Jesus. And what, two months ago, Alejandro wasn't ready, but he's now met Jesus. And all these people that I know and love who are coming to know Christ, praise God that he hasn't yet returned. That's one of the reasons why God has left us here. There are more people out there who do not yet know Christ. So my mum, my brother, my sister, and we must preach the gospel, we must tell them, we must be zealous for it. I found that people are way, 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 way more willing to hear about Jesus than I am to speak. But also never underestimate the extraordinary Extraordinary power that you can have just by living an ordinary, godly life. I'll finish with this. Peter says this: what kind of people ought we to be? We ought to live holy and godly lives as we look forward to the day and speed its coming speed it's coming have you ever thought that 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 you can speed the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as you start to live differently live distinctly live, live heaven bound saintly, godly, holy lives you make the gospel very attractive more people come to faith and Jesus comes back sooner with every new convert the day of the Lord is one day nearer so the Lord Jesus is coming again walk carefully worship corporately witness courageously and maybe just pray, perhaps tonight, Lord, perhaps tonight. Let me pray. Father, we do want to pray, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Please come and bring an end to the brokenness and the messiness of this world and our lives. Please come and bring an end to sadness and sickness and suffering and pain and persecution. Please come and bring justice and peace. And yet Father, I know that for many of us, we don't want you to come quite yet because there's people we know and love who are not ready. And so I beg of you, Spirit of God, would you open blind eyes and soften hard hearts and give us the joy of seeing the people that we know and love believing in Jesus, ready for that day. We believe you can do that, Lord, so we now name those people in our lives who we long to know Christ. that for Jesus' sake.